don't really know how to preach after that. Just gonna be crying. I'm an emotional guy. Um, man, profoundly grateful for for you guys and just giving us a, a home for the past year for me and my wife. So uh, I can't go too much into it because we got to get to we got to get to work tonight. First Corinthians chapter 15. Um, but you guys, uh, man, you guys are incredibly blessed to sit under leadership who just uh, uh, loves and cherishes you and would give their entire life so that you would take one step closer to walking with Jesus. And uh, man, they have, they've given their entire life to the entire staff team. So you guys are profoundly blessed. So hope you guys know that. First um, Corinthians chapter 15, we ready? I've given you so much time to get to there. So I hope you're there by now. Uh, I, we've been going through First Corinthians for, it seems like, a year, because it has been a year. Um, and as I was thinking about, like, as we're wrapping this up, we've got three more weeks, and, and Paul is about to enter into his last point, like his last discussion. And as I was thinking about the book of 1 Corinthians and what we've gone through, I, I kind of thought of, like, this chapter as, like, you're sitting at, like, a fireworks show, like in the 4th of July, right? Laura, that's your favorite holiday, right? 4th of July, hot dogs, fireworks, summer, hooray. But you guys, like, you know fireworks, pretty mediocre, you know, like, like it's fun. Like, oh, like there's the first one. And then you sit for like 30 minutes and you're like, this is the same thing over and over again. But there's one part of the fireworks show that's just like incredible. What is it? The finale, right? And, and that is what I feel like the, this chapter is. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. It is like the finale of what Paul has been writing about where like this climax comes in and everything is shaped by what happens here. And honestly, you could read this chapter and then go backwards, like go 15 and then 14, 30, and then work backwards, and then you would just see this perspective that Paul wants to have. So tonight, we're going to read like, this is it. Like, this is the finale. This is what everything is about. So I want you just to, man, sit in this text, read it, enjoy it, clap. Yay, fireworks, you know? Uh, that's what I felt like when I was reading this. I was just like... It's so good. Um, so, uh, man, I pray that we enjoy it. So let's hear what Paul has to say. Let's, let's hear what Paul is going to leave us with. What is the finale that Paul wants to leave the church at Corinth with? We're beginning in verse one in chapter 15. And he says this in verses one through three. You ready? Let's do it. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you received on which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And then look at the beginning of verse three here. For I passed on to you as most importance what I also received. This is, this is the first point and it's right out of the text for us tonight. The gospel is of first importance. The gospel is of first importance. And that word gospel, do you guys know what it means? Literally, it just means good news. It's not even a religious term. Like it's not even a term that comes like from the church. Like it's not just like talking about like Baptists, like good gospel music, right? The word gospel just means good news. It's actually a military term. It's a term that when uh, an army would win the battle, they would send a messenger and Evangelion, you know, like an angel, a messenger, they would send a messenger back to their home country to bring good news that the people back home are safe, that we've won the battle. It's good news. 
And what Paul is saying in this chapter, hey, everywhere that I go, everything that I start with, the thing that is of most importance, first importance is the good news because it is this good news that can save you. It is this good news, the only news that can save people. Imagine for a second, like if you were walking down the street, this is gonna be a pretty crazy analogy, just hold on. Imagine if you're walking down the street and you see a guy with like four gunshot wounds, you know, and he is bleeding out. You're the first one to get there. Kind of morbid, I'm sorry, we're going there tonight. You get there and he's, he's just like bleeding out, right? And you're looking at him, you're like, oh my gosh, like this is, he's gonna die. Like he's, he is going to die unless something intervenes, okay? And you, you bend down to him and you're like, dude, oh my gosh. You could really use a multivitamin. <laughs> like maybe you should change your diet and stop eating so much Taco Bell and switch to the vegan lifestyle. It's so much healthier for you. Or you're like, dude, your teeth could really use some whitening. It's like, like, what are you doing? Like, how stupid is that? Like, the guy is dying. He's, unless something intervenes, unless there's like hope, unless there's good news and an ambulance is on the way or something, this guy's gonna die. That's a really dumb analogy. And yet, man, isn't that what we do with friends and family and roommates? We want to see minor outward changes when they are literally dying, separated from God. And, and we want to comment on their drinking habit and their sleeping habits and what they're doing. And, and man, they're just not very patient with me. And then it's like, oh, I'm having these roommate troubles. And it's like, what Paul is trying to tell us when he rolls up to a town, when he rolled up to Corinth, the thing that was of most importance wasn't what they were doing. Did you notice that? He doesn't roll up into Corinth and say, stop having sex, stop drinking, stop. The thing that is most important is that they know that there is good news. That though they are, are living a life separated from God, there is good news for them. Paul came to bring good news to people who are dying. And so, what is this good news? That's what we're gonna unpack. That's what Paul's gonna unpack for us tonight. And he's actually gonna walk us through it. In the next four verses, he's gonna unpack, okay, what is the good news? He says, the gospel is of first importance. Okay, but what is the gospel? And guys, listen, understanding this message, hearing this message, this is the message that changed Paul's life. This is the message that changed my life. This is the message that changed the world. We would not be in this room was it not for this message that he's about to tell us right now. So let's look at it. Let's look through the next four verses and see what, what is this good news that he's telling everyone that he meets. Look at verse three. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. And here it is in verse three that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Paul is saying, according to the scriptures. He's saying all of this book right here, he's speaking to people that are familiar with the scriptures of God. He's saying all of this was pointing to one person. All of this was not a book to try to like 
get you to change. This book is, is a story about God's plan to rescue and redeem a lost people. And the way he was going to do this was not for you to try to work your way to him, but the way that he was going to restore and redeem people was to send himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. Isaiah 53, we're gonna talk about this tomorrow night. I hope that you come. It's beautiful how the Old Testament points us to, to, to the promise of Jesus. And it says that, that there was gonna be a servant that would suffer for the sins of the world. And in his suffering, he would take the sins of the world. Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. And verse four tells us about this man who came to die for us. And verse four it says, and that he was buried. So not only did Jesus suffer on the cross, not only was he beaten and tortured and he hung on a cross, but he died completely lifeless. Not only did Jesus suffer, but he died. But it doesn't end there because Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, listen really careful. Jesus dying for your sins is not good news. Jesus dying for your sins is not the gospel. And, and many people, and, and including myself, I think a long time growing up, I had the inability, I was unable to actually share what the, like understand what the gospel really was. And guys, Easter, what we're gonna celebrate this weekend is not about Jesus dying on the cross only. And if we get this wrong about the message of Jesus, we get the message of Jesus wrong. If we miss a vital part in the message of Jesus, we miss what Jesus came to do. If verse four, look at verse four. In my Bible, it's got a comma. In Greek, there aren't commas. But for the sake of this passage, if there's no comma there after he was buried, we would not be in the room tonight. There would be nothing to celebrate this weekend. If there's no comma there, if there's no second part of verse four, there is no good news for anyone. But it continues in verse four. He was buried and that he was raised on the third day. Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. He literally, physically, bodily, mightily rose from the grave. Someone who was dead rose from the dead. And this is crazy, right? How many people have you seen rise from the dead, right? Not that many. Zero. This is crazy. This doesn't happen. Dead people stay dead, which is why Paul knows like, hey, when I tell him like Jesus died, but then he rose from the dead, this is going to be hard to believe, which is why he says this in verses five and six. Look what he says. And that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter's nickname. He appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, 
then to the apostles, and last of all, as one to, to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Paul's reasoning for you to believe the resurrection, for these people to believe that someone died, you know what he says? Go ask Peter. Go ask him. And after you ask Peter, then go ask the 12 disciples who were following with him, who saw him die. And then after you go ask the 12, go ask 500 people. That's, look around the room real quick. That's about as many people are in this room right now. He said, go talk to the 500 people that saw him raise from the dead. Now, around this time, you'll see some like Discovery Channel like theories debunking how Jesus raised from the dead and they all suck. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious, they're all garbage. They wanna say like, oh, well, maybe they just hallucinated it. 500 people saw him rise from the dead. They said, oh, the, the disciples, they, they lied about it and stole the, the disciples were scared out of their minds. They locked themselves in a room because they were afraid of the Romans. And now we're seeing them boldly proclaim a message in front of Rome, like, and leading a massive movement of Christianity and going to, like, they gave their life to a message and then died. And you're telling me they died after something they lied about? The guys that, Peter, the guy who denied that Jesus was the Savior because of a little girl asked him. A little girl was like, hey, do you know Jesus? He's like, ah, oh, no. And this guy is leading a movement, like, that doesn't make sense unless something happened. Unless something real happened that they truly believed. Guys, this news that Jesus rose from the dead, it doesn't just catch our attention. It changes everything. The message that Jesus rose from the dead, it shouldn't just like catch your attention. It should change everything about your life because it changed the guy who is writing this letter. The guy who's writing to the church at Corinth. Look at verse nine and 10. He said, for I, Paul, am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Paul was a guy who killed and helped kill Christians. And he came face to face with the reality that Jesus died and rose from the dead. And it changed his entire life. I love how it says, and his grace was without was not without effect because the news of Jesus changes everything. Paul says, I, man, I experienced the grace of God, but it wasn't without effect. I began to work hard. I began to live this out. This changed my life. Listen, guys, the good news you can tell when someone has encountered the good news of Jesus because they are changed from the inside out. The message of Jesus changes everything. I love this quote by a guy whose name I forgot to write down, but I'm gonna read it anyways. 
It says this. He says, the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it's a very unusual event. True. And second, this is, this is the part that hits me in the gut. This is why someone would not accept the resurrection. If you believe that it happened, you would have to change the way that you live. If you truly believed the resurrection, you would have to change the way that you live. Because the good news that Jesus died and was buried and rose again, man, it changed Paul. He knew that he couldn't keep living the way that he was. He knew that he was living a lie, that he couldn't earn his way to God, but God sent his son to die for him and that Jesus was alive. It changed Peter from being a coward to being brave. It changed the 12 to leading a movement of God. It changed Rome it changed the world. This message of Jesus changes things and it should change us. I was in a bar a while back. That's an interesting way to tell a story at church. Um, I was in a bar a while back and you know how they have some of those games like cornhole? You guys call it bags, which is weird because you have so much corn. <laughs> cornhole is what it's called. And they've got, yeah, cornhole. And they've got cornhole and then they also have like these giant, Jenga things. You know those? You know what I'm talking about? The giant Jenga things? And I remember sitting there with a friend, and uh, we're watching these people play, and I'm not going to play. Uh, well, I, yeah, I'm not good at it. But anyways, uh, and, the, and like the parents are playing, and then they kind of turn their back, and I see this little kid. He like, he's like, just like a little kid. Poor little kid. And he walks up, and like the kids, aren't, the parents aren't looking, and he grabs one of the blocks, you know, totally thinking like, oh, this block is acceptable to pull out. And it's like towards the bottom. You know the one I'm talking about. You know the one that like, you like tap on it, it doesn't move at all. You're like, don't touch that one. Well, this kid did. And like a good person, I stayed and watched what would have <laughs> happened. And you see this little kid like pull it out and nothing happens. But then he turns back and like this giant tower of Jenga just like comes like the, like the flood, just like just knocks him out, this poor little kid. And uh, that's the story. <laughs> Apparently, some people in Corinth, they, they began to question, I'll bring this back, just wait. Uh, some people in Corinth began to question uh, the resurrection of Christ. And people came to say, is the resurrection even possible? Did Jesus actually rise from the dead? And Paul knows, listen here, Paul knows that the, the piece of, the Jenga piece that they're pulling on is so significant, right? That if they were to, if they were to pull that out, it would be destroyed. Their faith would be worthless. And Paul is jumping in. What I didn't do with the little kid, right? Like he jumps in, he goes, no, 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 no. That is important. Look, look at verse 12. This is, this is what Paul is telling to them. This is what Paul is warning them. And this is what he's warning to us. This is so important to the message of Jesus. Look at verse 12. It says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, 
How can some of you say that, the, that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Paul is saying this argument. If resurrection isn't possible, if you, if you don't believe in Christ that you will one day be physically and bodily resurrected, if you're saying that can't happen, God can't raise dead things to life, then what you're saying is Christ could not be raised from the dead. And if you're saying that Christ could not have been raised from the dead, there are massive implications. And Paul is gonna lay out five things and we're gonna run through these. He's gonna give you five implications of what would happen if you did not believe that Christ rose from the dead. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, these five things would happen. Are you ready? We're gonna run through these and these are all in the verses. So just stay close to the verses. Beginning in verse, verse 14. This is what would happen if Christ did not raise from the dead. Verse 14, our proclamation is in vain and so is your faith. What he's saying is if Christ didn't rise from the dead, me preaching to you is in vain. And guess what? So is your faith, which I'm gonna ask you this question. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, why are you here? It is pointless for me to be standing up here preaching, singing, worshiping, for you going to salt, it is completely pointless if Christ didn't raise from the dead. Number two, verse 15. If Christ didn't raise to be dead, we would be found to be false witnesses about God. We would be testifying wrongly. So not only is it pointless for us to be here if Christ didn't raise from the dead, it's actually harmful for the world that we're here. Because we're telling lies about who God could truly be. Man, if we're saying that God raised Jesus from the dead and that didn't happen, we're actually doing the world harm because we're leading them away from who God actually might be. We're not even meeting for the better, we're meeting for the worse. It's lying about God. Number three, verse 17. If Christ did not raise from the dead, you are still in your sins. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, think about this. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, how are you going to receive forgiveness and freedom from your sin? Every person in this room has experienced sin, has fallen short of the glory of God, has given into sin. And I'm, and I'm wondering, how are you expecting to receive forgiveness for your sin if Jesus didn't rise? Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then he didn't defeat death, right? So if he died, death defeated him. He was overcome by it. And if he didn't triumph over death, then he didn't triumph over sin. If the result of sin is death, and Jesus could not overcome death. He could not triumph over sin. Therefore, we are still in our sins, guilty and condemned before a holy God. As N.T. Wright would say, if Jesus 
didn't rise from the dead, the world is still as it always was, broken. Number four, verse 18. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. Guys, if Jesus didn't physically, bodily defeat death by rising from the grave, all those who have died in the past, who have believed in the Messiah for salvation, have perished. All of those who have died before us are separated completely, eternally from God. There is no redemption. There is no life after death. And lastly, because of all of those things, Paul writes this in verse 19. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, so if we're just saying, man, Jesus, yeah, it, it's a good moral teaching, but I don't know if he actually believes in the dead. Paul's saying, if we've put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone this is the result of all of those things. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we should be pitied. The world should look at us in this room if Jesus really didn't rise from the dead and they should feel sad for us. They should feel bad because we are wasting our life. If Jesus didn't literally rise from the dead, we are wasting our life on some random moral teaching that doesn't really matter. It's pointless. He even emphasizes this in verse 32, if you want to jump down. It's not going to be on the screen, but verse 32, he says this. If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. I mean, if Jesus didn't rise, if Jesus wasn't who he says he was, if he didn't rise and prove to be the Messiah, then we should just live it up. Like, we should drop this whole Christian game. It doesn't do any good. Man, let's, let's just quit. Let's, let's go to Sharky's. We should live it up for tomorrow. Like, honestly, our life is short and we're gonna die. So what's the point? Guys, following Jesus, I, have you noticed this? Like your walk with Jesus is not a walk in the park. Like have some of you noticed that? Did any of you, like when you came to Jesus, like faith in Jesus, you thought like instantly it was gonna be like great and you found out it was gonna be like really hard? Man, it's not all sunshine and roses. We have to fight our sin. We struggle with sin. We fall into sin. I mean, we have to work to obey. It hurts. Is that true? Is following Jesus just easy, easy for you guys? Like, it's tough, right? I mean, we, we suffer in following Jesus. And I'm wondering, man, if Christ did not raise from the dead, why are we doing this? I, I was... Uh, I was talking to a, a friend, uh, two guys actually in our connection group mixer um, two nights ago. I didn't tell him I was going to mention this, but I'm going to. Christoph, you heard his story up here, right? Um, he came to know Jesus this year. 
And, and I was asking him and, and asking uh, David as well, of like, man, their stories of how they came to know Jesus. And, and guys, like, it, it's hard. Like, Christoph is going home this summer, back to Austria, where his family doesn't know Jesus, where he doesn't really have a church, and he doesn't really have community. This is going to be really hard. Following Jesus, oftentimes we lose our friends and it creates a wedge in our family. I was even talking to a student uh, two weeks ago. I preached at this uh, event and a kid came up to me afterwards and he was kind of in tears and he goes, I, I decided to follow Jesus a month ago and it was the worst decision of my life. And he's in tears. He's like, my family doesn't know Jesus and they continually mock me every single day. None of my friends follow Jesus. I can't get a ride to church on Sunday mornings. My parents won't take me to youth group because they say it's a waste of time. I feel so alone. And you know what I told them? I said, you know what? Dude, you should just give up. Quit following Jesus. It's not worth it. Man, it's, it's, it's creating a wedge. You're losing your friends. You're, you're losing your family. It's got to be really hard. Honestly, you're wasting your life. I feel really bad for you that you've wasted so much time following Jesus. Do you think that's what I told him? No. I said... Listen, guys, if following Jesus to you is just a book, following rules, it's not worth it. I, I would say those things to you. Just give up. But that's not what the message of Jesus is about. That's not what the gospel is about. Because look at verse 20. Paul doesn't end it with saying that we should be pitied. Look at verse 20. There's a great word in verse 20. It says, but. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. Listen to how beautiful verse 22 is. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ, all will be made alive. I did not tell that kid that it was a waste. I said, I know it's hard. I know it sucks, but it's worth it. Because Jesus died, but he rose again. He defeated death. He is who he says he was. Guys, all of the things that we read in these past verses the five things that I said would be true if Christ didn't raise from the dead. Guess what? They're not true. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Our faith is not in vain. Our preaching of God's word is true. We can open this word and we can know that it is true. Guys, we have forgiveness of our sins. You are not too far 
gone from God. We have forgiveness of our sins and you can be assured that God has forgiven you. Have you ever questioned sometimes if God has forgiven you? Man, you can know for certain that God has forgiven you. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. All that die will one day rise again. All that have died in Christ will one day rise. Guys, you can know that death is not the end. Why? Because Jesus rose again. Guys, life is not a waste. You are not to be pitied. You are to be envied because you have found the treasure that is worth leaving everything. It is worth selling everything you own and holding on to the treasure that we have found in Christ. This is the good news. This is what Paul wants to end with. This is the fireworks that is going off. Guess what? Jesus died. He was buried. And he rose again. And he defeated death. This is good news because it changes everything. Because Christ rose, your sins, which are many, can be forgiven. And not just forgiven, you can be set free from the bondage of sin in your life. I love that last verse where it says, in Christ, all will be made new. Because of the resurrection, you have forgiveness of sin and you have freedom from sin. I love that verse in Romans 8 says, the same spirit that, rose Je- that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit lives in you. You can have freedom. You can conquer sin. You can die to sin because Jesus rose and defeated death. Jesus has risen as Lord. That is what we celebrate. And we can embrace him as a gracious and mighty Lord, we don't have to fear death. We get to embrace life eternally and life now. Let's pray. Father, Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation. Father, the message that Jesus died and was buried and rose again is the most powerful message this world has ever heard. Father, tonight in this room, with the message that God made a way for broken people to have life, would that message pierce someone's heart Would it open their ears? Would it open their eyes that they may hear the good news? Father, would we too remember what is true since Christ has risen, that our sins have been forgiven? We don't have to question if God forgives our sins, but the fact of the empty tomb declares that God has forgiven our sins, that we have life after death. And Father, that we are not wasting our life, but we have truly found it. Father, would you remind us of the good news of Christ tonight?